Welcome, everybody, to this edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call Podcast. I am Will Driscoll, the Executive Director of the Hall of Fame, and it is my pleasure to bring Hall Call to you wherever you may be listening. Uh, We aim to highlight the individuals, topics, and events that make sports in Virginia so special here on the Hall Call Podcast, and today is no different. Well, the calendar has turned to October, and that means that after 162 games, baseball has finally reached the playoffs. And today, we get to talk to one of our more recent inductees and a man whose teams advanced to postseason play seven times during his 15-year career. It's a pleasure to have 2018 inductee Michael Kadire joining us today on the Hall Call podcast. Michael, thanks for taking some time out for us today. Well, doing well. How about you? Are you doing all right? Yeah, I can't complain. I can't complain. We were just uh, talking a little bit before this, and uh, your twins had a pretty good season this year. Now, you work with them a little bit in spring training, right? Probably even more than just a little bit. You're down there working with the players, correct? Right, right. I'm special assistant to baseball operations, so that's part of my job is go down to spring training. But then also throughout the year, um, I'm basically like a consultant to the whole baseball department, whether it's the minor league and working with some of the guys down there or coaches down there or all the way up to to the big league level to trade acquisitions or free agent acquisitions, pretty much a a jack-of-all-trade, master-of-none type, but, um, (laughs) you know, give my advice where where it's warranted. Well, give yourself a little bit of credit. And speaking of credit, how many of those 307 home runs can you take credit for this year? Absolutely zero. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was uh, it was an incredible year for those guys. Um, you know, obviously a lot has been made about the the ball in this era, but everybody's playing with the same ball and they hit more than anybody else. So uh, credit where credit is due. Yeah, you know, we we've all heard you know the the issues that have been brought up about the ball. The the hitters don't complain about it too much, but the pitchers have definitely you know made their voices heard. But like you said, it's not like they're changing the ball every single game. It you know whether you like it or not, you are playing with the same one, but. You know, we're looking at kind of comparing it to when you played to now. The Yankees and Twins, who are about to start this series, combined for 613 home runs. When you were playing, did you ever think that you'd see statistics like that? Right. No, I mean, obviously, 300 home runs for a team in a season is is pretty incredible. Um, and then it's for two teams to do it when it's never been done in the history of the sport, that's... Uh, you know, something that's pretty special as well, but it's, a, it's no secret. The formula of both teams and winning has been the, it's been the home run. Um, I think the most Im- Im- surprising stat is the fact that John Carlos Stan only had three of those 300 <laughs> home runs for the Yankees. So, uh, you know, they've had a lot of guys step up, a lot of guys that didn't expect to, to be contributors. But, you know, that's how the game is. That's how the sport is. It's the war of attrition, and any team that um, – you know, has depth throughout the organization and can have unsung heroes come up and and fill in where it's needed. Um, that's how you do it. And, and we certainly have had a few guys as well. You know, the Twins had a good season a couple of years ago, and last year they, they regressed down to 78 wins, and this year they, they jumped up to 101. Um, you know, you're working with the team in spring training. Are you working with the major league players, or are you, or are you working more with the minor league players, or were there signs that you saw that this could be a team that could make that 23-win jump this year? Well, going into the season, I think the, the big thing for us was finding out if our core were, were a group of guys that we could trust believe and we're going to make the next step guys like um steady rosario and max kepler and you know byron buxton and miguel sano and, and see if those guys 
we're going to be guys that we can we truly could build around. And that was a big question mark coming into the season. We believed in them, and we believed that they, they would be the kind of group that we could build around. But we needed to see that. So we supplemented them with a bunch of one-year contracts with Jonathan, Jonathan Stoke and obviously Nelson Cruz and, and these guys. And I think you saw our young core make the next step, step to the next level. Mitch Garver coming up with 30 home runs as well. You know, so I think now that we have a core that we can believe in, we do have a group of guys that we can hopefully build sustained success around and continue to provide them with players that, that are going to help them to take the next step. And the guys that we brought in are guys that have postseason experience and guys that have won games uh, in October before, and hopefully we can translate that into this offseason, and one thing for sure is our guys aren't going to be scared. They're not going to be scared to go into the stadium on Friday night to play the game. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the tournament. Sometimes not the best team always wins in, in the postseason, but it makes for a, a fun a fun month in the league. You know, baseball is a funny game, and you know, with a lot of personalities in a clubhouse, you got 25 guys, but then you, you have all the guys who are coming up throughout the year from the minors and just player transactions. But, you know, sometimes it's changing just one voice in the clubhouse that makes a difference. And this year, the Twins did that with their manager. They hired a young guy in Rocco Baldelli, a guy who many people will say had a ton of talent, but kind of always got hit by the injury bug. What did you see from him when you talked to him in spring training? And did you have a relationship with him prior to this year? Yeah, I mean, obviously played against Rocco for for a long, long time. And you know, we're relatively the same age, came in, broke in at the same time. Um, so I, I did and then got to know him as from the manager side. And what Rocco does is he really, he, he does the same thing as, as what Derek Falvey and Thad Levine, who is our, you know, vice president of baseball operations and general manager does, does and they take collective voices and put it into one. Um, he gets advice from all of his coaching staff. He makes his whole coaching staff feel valued and, feel like they're contributing and then he, he listens to his players and 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 really takes their voices and applies it to the game as well and you know I think that's what you're seeing of the more modern manager the more modern manager is really paying attention to the team's body um, the player's body uh, giving them rest and recovery you know not taking this grind for granted and trying to supplement players and give them days off and I think Rocco does that obviously with his history as you mentioned with being injured he's, he's very sensitive to that and sensitive to being able to listen to, to injuries and listen to the body and give guys the proper rest and fortunately we had enough depth where we could do that and, and not skip a beat I mean you got a guy like I said Mitch Garver who barely played over 100 games because we also have Jason Castro and, and Astadio uh, behind the plate and you know, he's able to go out and hit 30 home runs because he wasn't overtaxed. So that's one thing that Rocco brings um, to the table as well as our whole coaching staff. Who wins a foot race? You or Astadio? <laughs> uh, being 40 years old, I still think I could take him. <laughs> Maybe even running backwards. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, you, you know, you, you do a lot of work. You've just talk, kind of talked about the work that you do with the Twins. Was there a guy in the organization when you were coming up that was kind of the you now? Uh, was there a guy from, from the Twins past that really kind of helped you not just learn how to play in the big leagues, but learn to be a big league ball player? Right. Well, I mean, you know, for, 
for my position, my position, and, and there's four of us, so Troy Hawkins, Troy Hunter, Justin Morneau, and, and myself, it's kind of, it's a relatively new position as far as the paid position on the, on the, in the organization. But, you know, the, the twins have always brought guys in for spring training and, and to talk with and, you know, guys like Rod Carew, who still comes into spring training, and, and Harmon Killebrew would come in. Tony Oliva is always around and, and still dresses out in uniform. So there are there are plenty of guys that I was able to lean on and, and take from everybody. I remember, you know, sitting down and listening to Jim Cott speak to our pitchers in spring training, and I was able to take something from that. So, you know, I think it's really up to the player. Um, you know, there's information out there everywhere, especially at the major league level and professional baseball. Guys are given their they, – they want to help the young guys, but it's, it's ultimately up to the player to listen and what they're going to take from those guys because you got some some players, whether it be stubborn or stuck in the way or entitled or feel like they don't need it, um, they're not going to listen to anybody, especially – from the quote-unquote old days anyway. <laughs> you, you just hit 40. You're not, you're not from the old, old days. <laughs> Still a different generation of, of the game that I played. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll talk about the differences in generation because, you know, your, your group of guys, you know, your 15-year career went from 2002 to 2016 area, but you were kind of that, that generation transition or that generation gap between the old school stat heads and the advanced analytics that we're seeing now, you know, what, where do you, what side of the fence do you fall on when it comes to looking at just the batting average home runs, RBIs versus the launch angle, the war stats like that? Well, I don't think you have to be on one side or the other. And I think that's where we, we have problems and that's where, you know, we got so many people button head is like, it's gotta be, you either gotta be analytical or you gotta be old school and just do it with your eyes and play the game. I think you can merge both of them. And I think it's either side or any, any person that comes in and says, well, no, this is the way it's done. This is the way it's going to be done. And don't listen to, to the other side. And I think they're doing themselves an injustice of being able to watch the game and evaluate the game. Um, is it played differently? Absolutely. It's played differently. Of course it's played differently. Shifts have changed the game. Uh, the, the, the three-run home run, the two-run home run, the analytics that say that that's the best way to win a major league game, you can't deny that either. So, you know, to get mad at players for trying to hit home runs and, and with the approach of putting the ball in the seat, you can't get mad at players because the analytics are saying that's the best way to score and put, you know, quote-unquote crooked numbers up in an inning. You know, it's very hard in the major league to string together three base hits to be able to just score one run. Whereas a walk and a two-run homer, you're obviously up one now. So you can't argue with that, those analytics at the major league level. Where I think you're seeing the problem is now when you take those, those, that mentality and the way the game is played in the major leagues and the analytics that are used for the major leagues, it's starting to sell that to young, young players, amateur players. Um, from the ages of nine all the way through high school, it's a different game. Kids aren't strong enough to hit the two-run home runs. Three-run home runs don't happen as often as they do at the major league. So the, the now that you see these kids getting taught um, to hit home runs, and I'm not going to talk about launch angle because launch angle is a result. It's not a teaching. You can't teach launch angle. You teach a swing and you can teach an approach. You don't teach launch angle. That's, that's what happens after you hit the ball. So, but to teach, you know, a, a high school kid who is a high school sophomore who is five foot nine 
147 pounds to try and hit a ball 400 feet, then I think you're doing that child, that kid a disservice. So game is different in, at high school level than it is at the major league level. So I don't think it needs to be taught the same. Yeah, it, it's, I was actually looking at, you know, stats compared to, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, or excuse me, 20 years ago. And, you know, this year, only 19 players total in Major League Baseball finished hitting above 300. Compare that to 79 in 1999 and 51, you know, 10 years ago. So it and has been declining. Over 60, over 60 that had 30 home runs. Exactly. So, I mean, it is a completely different game, but I, I agree with you, you know, that's fine at the major league level, because if that's what, you know, you're being paid to do and you, you have honestly your livelihood on the hook, go ahead. But when you're teaching kids down in, you know, the, the AAUs and, and high schools to, you know, forget about the, the bunter, forget about the hitting, hitting the other way. I think that's where you're running into issues. And that, that's what could have the long-term effects on the game. Absolutely. I can't, couldn't agree anymore. And I think you're starting to see that, that generation um, make it into professional baseball and, and college baseball. And I think, I don't want to say, I'm not going to be one of those guys, old guys say the product is, is bad, but it's a different product. It's, it's not as exciting as a, as a game. It's, it's almost like if you're, if you're watching an NFL game and, and they just take 50 yard bombs and they hit on three of them but then the rest of the series are three and out. And, yeah. you know, you're starting to see something like that. But it's even worse when you see it at the, major league, or at the, at the high school level, college level, because the three-run bomb might only happen once every three games. And, you know, so I think you're, you know, and, and at the high school level, you can't steal bases, and there are going to be errors. And you want to put, you want to be putting balls in play. You know, at major league level, you hit a ground ball, 99% of the time you're out. High school level, I would argue that 50% of the time or 60% of the time you're out. So you still have a chance. So you want to get at that level, level put the ball in play and put a premium on putting the ball in play. At the major league level, yes. <clears throat> with shifts, with as good as these defenders are, you don't put a you don't hit a ball into the gap or you don't find a, find a hole, you're going to be out. You, you want to put the pressure on the fielder. Right. That, right. That's the goal is to put the pressure on the fielder. I mean, especially you, at the youth level, especially at the youth level. But even as you progress, I mean, you guys play a sport where failing seven out of 10 times is considered great. So, I mean, you want to, you want to put the pressure on somebody else. So put the ball in play. Um, you know, you, you, you just see the strikeouts go up. You see the home runs go up. Um, you know, is there something to be said that too many home runs are bad or is this just kind of where we are now and in 10 years we'll be arguing about something else because the game will be back to where it was, say, 10 years ago? <laughs> Again, it depends on how you're looking at it. It depends on through, through what eyes you're looking I at. I love it. home runs, personally. If you're, if, you're looking at it, if you're looking at it through the eyes of a general manager or a front office, again, the analytics have shown the three-run home run, the two-run home run is the best way to win a game. It's the, it's the most proficient way to score runs um, at the major league level. If you're looking at it, if I'm taking off my, my job glasses and, and I'm looking at it through a fan, as a fan, I enjoy seeing first to third. I enjoy, I enjoy seeing double plays turned. I enjoy seeing stolen bases. I enjoy seeing you know balls put in play and guys running hard down the down the line or trying to advance or trying to set the single into a double. I enjoy seeing those things as a fan. So as a fan, 
I'm not, and I and I become numb to the home run. I become numb to the to the two run home run as excited because then I just know in two more innings there's probably going to be another two run home run hit by the other team. We're going to have a tie game, so I become numb to the home run, and I I I want to see more excitement and more action throughout the game, and I think that's what you're you're lacking. But like I said, as uh, on the evaluation side on the the front office side of things, you you want to hit the home runs. That's how you're going to score the runs, and that's how you're going to win baseball games. Yeah, I mean, movement keeps people's attention. I mean, it's as simple sure. as that. So when when the ball is in play and people are moving, and you know, it is going a five four three double play, or you got a guy going first to third, that's going to keep people's attention. But let's let's shift gears a little bit. We we talked just before this, and you know, you're we and we mentioned it here. The Twins are in the playoffs, so you're actually heading up there. Uh, on Sunday uh, to to attend um, the games in Minnesota. Now, the Yankees and and the Twins have a bit of a history recently in the playoffs, and it's it's pretty one sided. And you were a yeah. part of some of those. It, is this a year that could be different? I mean, you look at these teams; they are very similar. I mean, we talked three hundred seven home runs, three hundred six home runs. Both pitching staffs have some strengths, but there are definitely some flaws there as well. What are you looking for in this series? Yeah, well, I mean, as a uh, other than well, the, the wild card game in 2016, I was a part of all of them. So um, the, the history, our history, the guys on that I played with in, in our era is a completely different team than what both teams have now. Um, you know, I think it, it's, it's a very even series. Um, you know, it's going to come down to <clears throat> which, which starting pitchers can keep their games in, in the best. Um, you know, obviously the Yankees have Chapman in the back and Adovino and those guys, but, you know, I think we need to keep them from hitting home runs, and that's plain and simple. And it's a lot easier said than done, but they also need to keep us from, from hitting home runs as well. It should be an exciting series. Um, you know, it's going to be a lot of balls that are hit pretty hard in this series. It's just a matter of who comes out and wants it. You know, it's in a five-game series, anything can happen. You know, you get two good starts and, and then a couple uh, big hits, and, and you can win. You know, Minnesota's kind of a forgotten fan base sometimes because people get so lost in the Red Sox, Yankees, you know, Dodgers. But there's some history there, and, and when they get behind a team, they get behind a team. Uh, you know, you, you played there for many, many years. Kind of talk about the fan support that, that they can expect up there. Yeah, well, I mean, they really, they call it, it's called Twins Territory because it really is. It's like almost a five, it's a five-state fan base. Um, you know, there's not many baseball teams up, up north in that area. you got the Brewers and, and the Twins, and that's, that's pretty much what you've got. So there is. It's a huge, it's a very vast fan base, a very passionate fan base that really cares about their, their team, really cares about the Twins. They're passionate about it. And it's fun to play for them, and but they're not so gung ho and and crazy like you know the fans in the Northeast where they live and die by every game. Um, but they definitely want to see their their twins win, and uh, they definitely rally around them and it's going pretty hard. Now I've heard many many cliche answers that a postseason game is no different than a regular season game. But you know, last night was the Nats uh, Brewers wild card game, and congrats to the Nats for advancing. But you see guys like Max Scherzer and even other guys like Clayton Kershaw, and they have these struggles in the postseason. Is there a difference? There has to be a difference in just your maybe not your preparation, but just the feel of the game. Give us an idea of what a play. 
playoff game and at bat and the atmosphere is like compared to say a regular season game, you know, number 100 in August? Well, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a different focus level, different intensity level. I think, you know, when, when you hear the cliche of it, it's just another game, um, you know, you have to approach it like that. There's no, no way you can, you can go in it and trying to build it up bigger than it is. And, and, you know, as a player, but, you know, I think Max and, and Kershaw, those guys, they, they're at such a high level all the time. It's, it's almost hard to, to, to step it up again. Um, you know, cause there are, but, but the, the hitters will, the hitters will elevate their, their intensity and their focus. And I think that's what you see. I think it's not necessarily that they pitch um, poorly or they prepare any less. I just think you start and you see that in the postseason, you see these offensive players and these hitters step up their intensity and step up their focus. And, you know, you, Eric Dames last night being able to hit the ball, you know, that was a pretty decent pitch, but he's he, maybe in, in game 120 of a regular season, his focus level is not as in tune and he misses that pitch and swings a miss or a foul ball or, you know, whatever the case may be. So I, I don't think it's necessarily that they don't step up their game. I just think everybody else around them steps up their game to another level. You know, it, it was exciting last night watching that game. I mean, obviously Ryan Zimmerman, you know, from Virginia mm-hmm. Beach and, and Daniel Hudson, who went to high school in Virginia Beach, you know, they played they played prominent roles in, in the comeback and shutting down the Brewers. We have Verlander, who's obviously for the Tigers. And then you uh, with, uh, you know, with your work with the Twins, I know what your heart is saying. You know, what is your head telling you about the playoffs this year? Who, who do you think is going to come out on top? Well, you know, other than, I mean, I will say the last three years, I think the best team has won with the, the Red Sox, the Astros, um, and the Cubs. I think the, the, the best the best team in the big leagues has won the last three years. But prior to the last three years, very rarely does the best team on paper actually win the World Series. I think going into it um, on paper, you know, I think the Astros are probably the most complete team in the American League. I don't think anybody can deny that. But it doesn't mean they're going to go out and win, win uh, even the first round. Uh, I've seen a lot of teams that, that have the most complete teams, you know, get a bad start or have a couple of unsung heroes from the other team step up. So, you know, I, like I said, I think the Astros are the most complete team in the American League. Um, I think the Dodgers are obviously the most complete team in the National League. You have both teams the most wins in the regular season. So it's hard to, to say that they're not the most complete team. But again, I, on the National League side of things, I wouldn't want to say Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin in a five-game series and then have to face them all again in a seven-game series either. So who knows what's going to happen. I think that's what makes playoff baseball um, special and fun is because it's, it's all matchup-based. It's how a team matches up with another team. You know, certain hitters like certain guys on one team and, and facing those guys. So, you know, that could be the three best pitchers in the game, but it's that team has their number and has had their number their whole career. Well, that that it evens the playing field a little more. Well, to use a, another cliche, that is why they play the game. I mean, playoff yeah. baseball, it, it really doesn't get much better. Uh, we're happy that you were able to, to give us some time today to talk. I know you're headed up to Minnesota this weekend, and we wish you and the Twins luck against the Yankees. It's going to be a tough series. Hopefully it's a good series, and, uh, and hopefully you guys come out on top. So, Michael, thank you for joining us today. All right, man. No problem. Sounds good.
All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Hall Call Podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Michael Kadire, for joining us today to talk a little bit of baseball, actually a lot of baseball. And as always, if you like what you heard, please follow and like us on SoundCloud. You can also find the most up-to-date and archived episodes of Hall Call on our website, vasportshof.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media for the latest episodes. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram handles are all at VA Sports HOF. I'd like to thank ESPN Radio 94.1 WVSPFM and our executive producer Thomas Simmons for their support. I am Will Driscoll, and thank you for listening to this edition of the Hall Call Podcast. <laughs>